Hey guys, real quick before we get into this episode, I need you to do me a couple of favors. First, go give us a review on iTunes. I can't stress it enough. It's really, really important for me to help keep this free and to help me keep it going. Next, get involved with your hunting rights. Go join Halfa Wildlife. Super simple. Takes a couple minutes. You can even do the free membership. I don't care. But be involved. Lastly, I want you to do yourself a favor and up your shooting game and go get you some Phoenix shooting bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%. That's all I got for you. Let's get into this episode. Hi, welcome to Days in the Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast brought to you by Phoenix Shooting Bags. Today, uh, we're going to discuss a little bit of the over-the-counter opportunities late in the season and... um, in Washington, and uh, we've got Justin Stanley on with us, and he's going to kind of enlighten us on that and then uh, maybe share some stories with us and talk a little bit about hunting in Washington. What's going on, man? Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so kind of before we get into this stuff, just uh, give us a little rundown about uh, who you are. And All right, like uh, John said, I'm – Justin Stanley. I was born and raised here in Eastern Washington. Um, I was introduced into hunting at a young age. Uh, I was about three or four when I started going over to hunting camps with my dad and grandpa. Um, then I personally began hunting when I was around 11, started with muzzleloader hunts and, um, for mule deer. And I was able to take my first deer when I was 11. And then, um, so I've been hunting ever since for, um, since I was 11. Awesome. I've only gone one year since I have, I haven't been able to, um, hunt. So, um, I began Washington hunt trapping horns when I was 16. Me and a couple buddies were out shed hunting and we just decided to go ahead and start this page. And I liked connecting with other people in Washington and, um, seeing success other people are having throughout the state which has always been fun uh, i went to university of idaho after i graduated high school and got a degree in rangeland management oh wow that's what my degree is in oh really that's cool yeah, yeah. I, from i want, got mine from colorado state but i got my master's degree in, in colorado state rangeland management my undergrad is physical therapy actually Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I uh, started working for a ranch here when I was 16 as well, and that's where I got my interest in range management. And now I work here um, locally for a conservation district and do uh, rangeland work as well. Oh, sweet. Yeah, and then I started hunting Idaho as well when I went over there when I was 18, and I've been going back ever since in the middle of November. Um was lucky enough to go down to Colorado in 2019 and took a pretty decent bull on an over-the-counter bull hunt. And, um, yeah, so I've just been mostly focused on mule deer hunting here in Washington as much much of the seasons as I can. We do have a, a pretty decent opportunity if uh, you plan it right. And, yeah. Yeah, let's, um, let's jump into that a little bit. Let's talk about the opportunities for – because you guys have – several over-the-counter opportunities from elk, some elk stuff and and uh, muley and blacktail right yeah yep so bear, bear too yeah right 
Yeah. We well, have at least at least when too. when their commission wasn't trying to take bear hunting away. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's been pretty. I listened to your podcast with uh, Doug Bowes, and that was really interesting. And, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty unfortunate. I know he's a lot better expert on that type of stuff than I am. <laughs> I do watch the commission meetings and stuff, but um, yeah, that that's a pretty frustrating part, and hopefully we can get that figured out here soon. Yeah. All right. So yeah, yeah so go I can kind of just go. Yeah, go take it. Take over the reins and and give us uh, give us the tour. Okay, that sounds good. So, um, how I kind of look at it at the beginning of the season, which actually um, for me when I start looking at it in March, um, Washington has a what it's called a multi-season tag, mm-hmm. and it's a draw um, draw tag that you put in for in March, and that allows you to hunt. Um, archery muzzleloader and rifle if you get drawn for it um and that also helps with special permits later on then you can put in for a variety of um different uh special permits because and then if you don't get drawn for that multi-season then you have to choose a weapon so that would be either archery muzzleloader or rifle and then you're stuck with that okay so um, so this is a um if I'm hearing you right, it's, is it a, it's a special hunting license or is that your, your, or you're trying to apply for a tag that is multi-season? Yeah, it's a special hunting, uh, tag for, and you can apply for, uh, mule deer or for deer and for elk. The elk one is a lot harder to draw. People are a lot more interested in getting that one. Uh Um, and so, yeah, you put in the, uh, the due date for that is around March 31st. Um, and so you just apply for it like you would everything else, and it comes out in May. And um, if you get drawn for it, then you go buy it, and then um, you can hunt all the different seasons that come up later in the fall. But if you don't get it, then you do have to go purchase, say, a rifle tag, and that's the only season you can hunt okay. um, at that. Sometimes it actually changed it this year, but the um, deer multi-season usually have leftover uh-huh. uh, tags, and then in August you can go buy it. Oh, um, just cool. over the counter if you get there fast enough it's first come first serve this year was a little weird they um, decided to just keep drawing the people in line so however much was left over Ooh. the next people that were in line to get drawn they kept doing that but um, I didn't get drawn for it this year and with that way and um, I don't know if they're gonna keep doing that because I saw there were still people getting drawn this last month um, for multi-season tag and two or three of the seasons have already passed. So gotcha. um, hopefully they change that. But uh, yeah, and I kind of get into the seasons um, throughout the fall. It starts, or we don't have any uh, August hunts for a deer here okay. in Washington, but the first one starts September 1. Um, it's early archery. It goes through the 25th of September. Um and then in most of the units here in Washington, it's three point minimum for um, mule deer. So it has to be three points on one side. And then for a black tail or white tail, it's any buck in most units. There are some that are exceptions, but um, that's kind of the broad spectrum of it. Okay. Now that, that archery tag, the September one, now the last time I did it was shit a really long time ago, like 2013, I think. Um, it was over the counter then. Is it still that's still an over the counter deal? Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, all these ones that I'll mention are over the counter. There's a lot of special permit hunts that it would, it would take a lot of time to yeah. get through. Okay. And, um, 
um yeah so that's an over-the-counter yep if you have an archery tag or multi-season you can go out and do that um and then also intermixed with that it, we have it's called a high buck hunt and that is you can hunt in different wildernesses up high um with a rifle uh, if you have a rifle tag or any weapon um, whichever weapon it is it's open to all of them but um that is september 15th to the 25th normally just 10 day window you go up into the high country early on and yeah see if you can find the bucks up there and then um right after that it rolls right into muzzleloader season uh early muzzleloader it's another over-the-counter uh starts they've been moving it forward the last couple years when i was younger and started doing it it was always october 1 through october 10th mm -hmm. but now it's been moved up to uh september 26th to october 2nd normally oh, um yeah it's been making it a little bit harder to find deer they're still pretty nocturnal hard to find um usually around that second week october is when we uh, start seeing bucks moving a lot more out in the day gotcha yeah um that's that's my main hunt that i do for that i plan for the year is that muzzleloader one i've had a lot of success on that hunt um yeah and there's not why i really like that one is there's not that many people that do it mm -hmm. um here where i'm at so it's really nice to go out on a big chunk of public land and maybe see one other person so um compared to our rifle season which is very very busy in the woods hmm. I yeah and that like. um that rifle starts october uh, 15th and that's only a 10-day season october 15th to the 25th it's over the counter that's what majority of people hunt um so we just actually finished that up uh this last weekend and mm -hmm. yeah it was uh kind of slow this year because it was really warm the second weekend we were starting to see more deer moving but the first weekend it was still mid 70s and deer weren't moving and um but yeah that's the most popular one among most of the residents and non-residents in washington but it is a very busy season if you're able to find a place where you can get in um access to and uh to public land where maybe other people don't know about that would be my recommendation on that season for sure so note to self do not come in general <laughs> rifle season yeah it, yeah it's pretty crazy it's, yeah. i mean just a lot of people because it's a, such a short season you know compared to idaho where they start around october one and go almost to the end of november mm. for the rifle season so people are spread out in that two months um, but here we got 10 days so everyone's out in 10 days trying to find deer yeah that makes it tough yeah yeah it does i mean we um there's still definitely nice bucks that are taken in that season it sometimes helps people because they deer are moving around with that much pressure. yeah they get pushed around so, from other guys yeah yeah so i mean we have seen that before um where you'll it'll be one day at, and you'll go into an area one day and you won't see anything the next day there'll be bucks in there just because they got moved pushed around um so it is yeah it definitely it definitely is a season to think about, but it's one, if you definitely don't want to be competing with people, I would not recommend that one. Eh, people don't bother me. I, I, I grew up in, in New York and it's like a, oh, yeah. you know, a, a freaking war zone <laughs> come rifle yeah. season. I bet. Oh, it's yeah, absolutely atrocious. Yeah. <laughs> 
and we don't yeah, you know right. back there they don't have the private the public excuse me the public land that mm. you know access that that we do here in the west so yeah we have around 41 percent of washington is public land mm -hmm. um and then another good chunk of it's timber companies that uh, allow people if you buy a permit to go on so there's de decent opportunity and um private landowners do let people uh come on their land you just got to be kind of right place right time for some of that stuff right and uh fish and wildlife has now opened up a program um i can't remember exactly the name of it but it's uh private land hunting opportunities mm -hmm. and um so then now like on onyx it'll show up and the landowners can uh, sign agreements with fish and wildlife and i think they get paid a certain amount to let uh people hunt on their property and um cool there's certain uh steps of it. some of them if you click on on x it'll pop up and it just says feel free to hunt and so it, you're able to go hunt that ground because they're working with fish and wildlife on that program and um there's some areas that are hunt with written permission so you gotta call or write a letter first and they'll give you permission that's mostly for them to know who's going to be on there right um and just there's not a bunch of uh, random people on there that they don't know because yeah. it still is their private land. They're just trying to. No, that's um, cool. They, yeah. There's a yeah, lot of programs cool. like that through the West, like sign in programs and stuff. Mm -hmm. That's, um, that's, that's cool. I guess that landowners are offering that. Um, yeah. So after that, I know isn't, so I've been there in, in Washington in December during mm -hmm. the blacktail rut. That was there okay. years ago. Um, do you have any insight into those late season opportunities? And yeah, okay, yeah. Um, so th there are some uh, late late muzzleloader and late rifle hunts that occur. Mostly not in my area. That's why I don't hunt them that much. I would have to travel. Mm -hmm. a few hours to go to those areas the west side has um they have a late rifle over-the-counter hunt for blacktail um that one is november 17th to november 20th now okay um it's any buck and some of them have any deer on that um so it's just a three or four day hunt um over the counter but they also do have um now they have a longer late muzzleloader season that goes like november 23rd ish to december 15th hmm. so um yeah there definitely is that's an over-the-counter hunt as well what um, about the archery these, stuff archery yeah that's um big in my area here um late archery for muleys um is usually the second to last week in november or the last week of november 21 to the 30th i believe it is this year mm -hmm. uh for muleys in my area and then also there's some areas that do extend out to november 1 to december 8th um okay. which is pretty cool um yeah and then also our uh whitetail hunt here goes from that november 21st it um ish date all the way to december 15th and those are all one those are all White. hunts that you can uh show up and just go buy a tag at fishing it yep. okay Yep, yep, that's an over-the-counter. Whitetail and blacktail have that late season that goes to December 15th. Muleys usually end early on, mm -hmm. uh, earlier, because there is pretty good success now here in eastern Washington with that late bow hunt um, during the rut. I was going to um, say, that's the rut hunt, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. 
Yeah. What, um, so it's pretty cool we have that. When is the, what would you say, like the peak of the rut? What is the, what is the date? The peak? Man, it's hard. It's going to be hard to tell. It's a lot on weather. Usually when that snow um, hits, you can really see them moving. But it's around, I would say, the 25th of November is what I've noticed. Okay. Um, that day, it does depend just on the, And then whitetails is usually a little bit later, um, probably around the December 1st date. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, yeah. And, and you said the whitetail hunt, um, that goes till one. What time? What, what date does that go till? December 15th. So you got that the first two weeks of December when they're pretty, yep. when they're running pretty hard. Yep. And, okay. and that uh, goes the same for black tails as well with that late archery hunt. Okay. Um, I was going to say that's the hunt that I did. Okay. Yep. And there, and that's their rut as well. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to get over there and try to do some of that black tail hunting. I just never have. I'm usually over here hunting the muleys and white tails. Um, usually in our area here, they actually are beginning to intermix a lot. Um, the muleys and white tails. Hmm. Um, so some of the areas I go into, I'll see equal amount, uh, mule deer and white tail and that's pretty cool you can have a little diversity nice that's uh, we have that here in arizona a lot actually in the mm-hmm. desert especially um the coos deer or our or our white tail are very yeah um in close proximity to where you could find desert mule deer um mm-hmm. you know I, this is not always the case because there's often coos deer down in the flats but for the most part, if you're sitting on a knob, you, you turn and look one way up the mountain and you're seeing coos deer and you turn around and look the other way and you see mule deer. But, wow. you know, from the same, from the same glassing knob. Mm-hmm. Um, but you'll actually see whitetail down, down in the rollers and flats where the mule deer like to hang out. Very rarely will you see a mule deer up on the mountain though, in the desert. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, it's kind of opposite for us here. We usually... The yep. white tails are down lower, yeah. um, and then the muleys are up in the mountains. Um, yeah, so yeah. You, and then that early November uh, period is when they have that uh, the draw hunts normally. Um, the r- late rifle, the quality buck hunts are that um, first or second week of November. Mm-hmm. So that's your that's your quote the quote unquote trophy tag is the the November yep. tag for okay. Yep, if you can get drawn for a a rifle November hunt, which they're pretty they're pretty hard to draw. A lot of people want those ones. Um, there's some big bucks that get pulled out from those tags just because they are really starting to move and look for does. And then you have a rifle. Of course, yeah, so, rifle always makes things a little yeah. a little better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So let, let's talk specifically about, especially since we're so late in the game now, we're, you know, nearing the end of October. This probably won't air here until first week of November, just in case there's somebody that's going to, uh, you know, get a wild hair up their butts and want to go <laughs> go go out there. Let's talk a little bit about these later hunts. Um, yeah. That late um, archery mule deer hunt and whitetail blacktail hunt that goes all the way into December. Um, mm-hmm. What are some of the tactics you guys are using in the eastern part of the state? I know, like I said, I went in the western parts. I was actually hunting out of a tree stand for blacktail, which is okay. um, because it was so thick and it really wasn't like a spot and stalk type of terrain. 
Um, yeah. What are you, what are you guys doing in Eastern Washington? Like to, yeah. Okay. So, uh, personally I do a lot of, um, getting to glassing points and then glassing big open areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and then looking at the always benches and little pockets are always, um, pretty good to find, um, deer held up in at that in the later seasons. Uh, also, so here in Washington, we are allowed to bait deer to a certain extent. Right. Um, you can have, I think it's two, five or 10 gallons of whatever uh, feed or bait you want to put out every 200 yards is what I believe the rules are now. Wow. Um, so, yeah, you can have up to 10 gallons of a lot, a lot of people use apples or uh, just grain or anything solid. So you can hunt over that you just can't exceed that limit because they did have it where you could bait and people were putting just apple bins out and getting deer to come in obviously because i mean that's pretty good food for them so um so there are a lot of people that in that the late archery that will go um that will tree sand or blind hunt for um mule deer and whitetails um which isn't very common i know in a lot of states you can't bait deer so um, yeah, that's some tactics that I see are pretty successful, mm-hmm. um, especially for the whitetails. They, cause they are and especially the country I'm in, it's very open, uh, sagebrush grassland. And so getting on a whitetail spot stock with a bow is pretty difficult. Um, I mean, it, it can Challenge be done. Accepted. Yeah. Yeah. It can be done <laughs> uh, for sure. But, um, that's mostly a uh, spot spawn stock from muleys from glass and points and um also finding areas on um, where roads take a bend or something and just dropping off the road just maybe 20 yards where people don't look that much mm-hmm. and then glass in areas that um i do that a lot actually when i'm especially when i'm not hunting because i have taken um bucks pretty common in the earlier seasons so then when i just go out and just want to go find deer and watch deer i'll um just go drive a road till I find a bend that people don't pull off on very much. And I'll just walk over and then glass in there. And I see a lot of deer that way because we do have a lot of roads here that um, provide a lot of access. And um, so it, you don't necessarily always have to put in a ton of miles to go find deer. If you want to find the bigger ones, for sure, you got to put in a couple miles to a, um, to a glassing point and then do some looking where they won't be seen because those bigger bucks know sure that the roads are where the hunters are at. Right. Right. Um, so you, you kind of mentioned, I wanted to ask you like what my dog's barking really bad in the background. I don't know if you can hear him. Somebody must be at my door. Um, you mentioned the, the terrain by you is like sagebrush and open. Uh, but then yeah. you're talking about the muleys and benches and stuff. Are those like, timbered pockets or those like what try to paint the picture for me what like what it looks like yeah so and where it's pretty diverse where i'm um where i'm at it's uh down in the valley it's all just grassland sagebrush a lot of it's been burnt in 2014 and 2015 we had two uh, um, of the largest fires this state has ever had Mm -hmm. um and so we have a lot of burnt country now uh, down low so a lot of the sagebrush is now grassland that's kind of coming back okay um and it, it's pretty rocky um 
a lot of rocky mountains that the deer will uh, go bed at the bottom of uh, rock slides and stuff. I've seen that very common. There's usually benches there that they hang up on where they can overlook and see everything. And then once you gain a little bit of elevation, we start getting into um, pine trees and fir trees and aspen stands. And um, yeah, there's a lot of bucks that hold up in there, especially in this October, um, late October time. Mm -hmm. They're in that area coming down from the, um, the big mountains up in Cascades. Okay. Uh, yeah. So it, it really ranges a lot. You can hunt almost any type of country you'd like. If you want to go up in the Pasatan wilderness and hunt subalpine stuff, or you can come all the way down here and we're only like maybe 800,000 feet above sea level here. So it's oh, okay. very diverse. Yeah. And, um, yeah, lots of alpine lakes. I know people hike into, um, in the earlier seasons and glass, all those big basins, but I usually stay down in this, lower range usually between 2000 to 4000 feet would be my guess okay um, yeah the more open sagebrush country is where i kind of like glass and deer the best personally 10 4 cool um well i wanted to ask you to if you had some stories some like uh either good examples of what you know what a typical hunt is or something where you learn something about hunting them in that country, uh, in that time of year in Washington that, uh, that you could share with us. Yeah. I mean, I've had a few different experiences. We're hunting in this low country where there's a lot of ravines and stuff that, um, I've learned over time. It's really choosing, uh, when to be patient and kind of knowing when to be aggressive. Um, that's been a, lo a big learning curve because sometimes they'll go into a draw or something and you'll try to wait and then you'll never see them again. Mm -hmm. And maybe you should have been more aggressive. And um, then there's other times where maybe you thought they were leaving, but they actually bedded down and you'd be aggressive and then you end up pushing them out. So um, a big, a big thing for me is trying to read the deer and knowing, yeah, when to sit back and wait and, watch them and decide what to do then or be aggressive because i've had hunts that have been successful where i've seen a deer just go over a knob or something that i'm almost a full blown run and then i get up on the other side and then um i'm able to shoot them and then there's other times where so i just I'm gonna, to I'm gonna stop you i want to ask you a question what yeah are there some telltale signs that that you can explain or kind of paint the picture for that would tell you hey this buck is gonna most likely keep on going or he's just mm -hmm. going in there let me be patient like how do you tell what like yeah. what is your what's your litmus paper for telling when to be aggressive and when to be yeah patient so um you know with muleys they're they're always you know kind of known for they'll stop and turn and look at you and everything for a little bit where white tail you know they'll put up their flag and go so when I've been aggressive most of the times is when I know the deer has sensed that I'm there and that I may not have time to go back and get on him again or wait. And cause he may keep on moving. So if I know that the deer has either seen me at some point or has smelled me and he started to like boogie out of the area and we'll go into a ravine, that's when I'll go and try to get on him as fast as I can. Cause I know he already knows something's up. 
Okay. And um, usually, I mean, it's very rare that you actually see them like sprint out of the country. Even if they've seen you, um, they'll just kind of maybe jog a little ways and stop and then feed and keep looking back. So um, those are usually when I'm the most aggressive is if I know I've, they've seen me. Um, yeah, when I'll be patient is when I know they have no idea I'm there and they're not going to leave. And they're not going to leave the area they're in. And that's when I'll sit back and watch them and wait for the best moment to uh, put a stock on them. Cool. All right. Sorry. Go ahead. Go back to your story <laughs> or go back to what you were saying before that. I, uh, oh, I, yeah. I know I kind of took you off on a tangent there. No, that's no problem. Do you guys kind of experience the same thing uh, down there in Arizona, that type of behavior with deer? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty typical, um, mm -hmm. pretty typical behavior. I am, you know, I'm a pretty aggressive hunter all the yeah. way around. I am not the kind of guy that watches a bedded buck for hours on end. You know, yeah. like that's not my, if I see a bedded buck and I think he's going to be there for a while, mm -hmm. I'm figuring out how to get the hell over there. Yeah. Yeah, um, for sure. I honestly, I'm also not the kind of guy that waits the bed one down to go make a move, especially if I have, if I'm hunting with a, a guy that can spot for me, um, you mm -hmm. know, somebody that can keep tabs on the deer, then you know, if I'm hunting solo, then I'm always worried about, you know, let me put them to bed so that they'll be in the same spot when I get over there. Um, but if I'm hunting with a partner, I don't wait. I'd rather get yeah. them while they're up on their hooves, you know, than, than laying down. Yeah. Um, I feel like when they're laying down, they're hyper alert. And when they're up on their feet, they're alert, but they're not as, they, they're doing other stuff. They're eating or looking yeah. at does or whatever the case may be so their their tension is not a hundred percent and plus a standing deer is easier to locate than a bed yeah. deer you know so um, yeah you know so but as a whole i'm i'm pretty aggressive and I'm, i do that mm -hmm. with elk too like i'm not i'm not one to sit back i'm go 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 i i've done the sit back thing i've been patient i've been i feel like if I look at my, uh, I don't know how to put it, the hunting career, I guess, whatever you want to call it, as a whole, my aggressiveness pays off more than my being yeah. too patient or too cautious, yep, I, too cautious. Yeah, I think I've noticed that as well. Here's, I've been aggressive on a lot of hunts that I thought maybe even wouldn't work out, but it was my best chance and they did work out. So it. I feel being aggressive as long. I mean, it's the right scenario. It it is pretty successful here. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a like I said? Do you have a story like in particular you want to walk us through one of your hunts, like one of those that you just mentioned right now, where you, you know, maybe it was your only yeah. opportunity? And, yeah. Yeah, I I kind of yeah I was trying to think of one, and um, there's one. It always comes up whenever I think of it. I was younger on that high buck hunt that I was um, explaining earlier. I don't remember how old I was. I was early teens and me and my dad and my grandpa went up into wilderness and it was the first day we got there and it was still um, dark out and a guy actually happened to come down uh, 
into our camp and we asked him how it was and he said he hadn't seen a deer or anything for the last three or four days and um so and then we talked to him for a little bit and he kept on moving down the trail and by that time it was starting to get light out and as he was going down the trail he actually spooked up two huge muleys <laughs> um and they went right past our camp and went up on the ridge and the one was probably 28 inch four point and he had kickers on both sides and he was uh, just huge the biggest deer i'd seen at that point and we were able to get up and get on him and i mean i just didn't have enough experience at that time and there's this one twig not that big maybe quarter inch in size that went through his um like up through his vitals starting at his front shoulder down low and went up towards his back and so like i had a low shot that would be like a heart shot or had an upper lung shot um because i didn't want to hit that twig and so i decided to go with the lower shot like a heart shot and i ended up missing them low oh. and never saw that buck again and it was just it was like it was pretty heartbreaking to watch a buck like that and then ever Ever since that hunt, I've been always been patient when it comes to the shots. Maybe like the being aggressive to get on the deer mm-hmm. and getting in position, but making sure that, you know, I mean, we had time to range that deer and we just didn't, you know, I just didn't. I was too young. I didn't have the experience. If I would have ranged him and figured out what distance he actually was, um, I would have, I would have waited for a better shot. And I thought he was close. I can't remember how far he was, um, but I thought he was closer. Mm-hmm. And so I've always now been patient when it comes to taking shots on animals, making sure it's the right one and not rushing it because, you know, I mean, that was the last chance we never saw that buck again. Um, yeah, it was, it was just a crazy crazy experience you know and a great learning lesson you know it um it, it's pretty heartbreaking to watch a buck of that caliber go over the ridge you know and right it was a clean miss but yeah so that is definitely definitely a learning lesson for me that i'll teach my kid and whoever else i take hunting is once we get on i mean being aggressive to get on the deer but then once you get there make sure you're solid make sure you have a good shot range it everything you can to make sure you got a clean because it would have been even worse if i would have hit the deer low and injured it so i'm glad it was a clean miss but um yeah yeah what i yeah it's definitely one of them i i mean we all get you know you get into the shot process whether it's a bow or rifle whatever thing everything gets sped up so Mm -hmm. all your practice that you've done thus far unless you're practicing for that moment the way it's going down it really goes out the door you know yeah like i i've had this conversation with people all the time i'm like you know and i hate to pick on my buddy i got a buddy of mine actually i'm not even gonna say his name it's i I got i have a buddy of mine we used to we used to tease him we used to call him the wounder because he was a really excellent shot. You'd stick him with a bow. You put a, a you know a target out there. Put a tic tac on the target at, at fifty yards, and he would hit it like he was money. Yeah. But you put him in a hunting situation, 
And somehow, some way, the arrow would never go to where he was, you know, intending it to go. You know, yeah, he would, you know, he never, what, the great thing about it is he never mortally wounded anything. It was always like he cut him across the back or, yeah. you know, it skipped across his brisket a little bit. You know, it, it was a shitty situation no matter what, but yeah. at least he, like, he didn't leave a bunch of animals out there. But it was mm-hmm. like, it was like, and it took that, real. this is going back like 20 years ago now. It took that realization and I'm like, I didn't have that. And the reason, and I, I think the reason why I didn't have that is because my practice always consisted of, I would run myself through scenarios like, okay, mm-hmm. I, just, I wouldn't just stand in front of a bag and shoot at a, you know, at a block target. I would come sneaking over a, you know, a berm and I would shoot at my 3d target. And I would, you know, I would make it lifelike scenarios and I would try to, you know, just mimic what I thought I might encounter in the field. And I, and that, that stemmed from actually, we talked a little bit over there about our, about our, uh, uh, our college stuff. You know, a lot of that too, like I learned do it like sports specific training when I was in in uh, my undergrad and I was like, you know, this is very applicable to hunting. Like, Mm -hmm. why would I not train for the game? You know? And I just, over the years, and you could go on my YouTube and stuff and see them. Like I, I would do all these like crazy drills and, you know, back in the day I was like an anomaly. Like people were like, what the fuck is this guy doing? You know, I'd go to the archer range and I'd be wearing my backpack and wearing gloves and, you know, puffy jacket or whatever the case may be. Um, yeah. And people look at me like, dude, you're inside. Like, what What the frick is going on, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, like I would, lay, you know, for instance, one of the things that um, – I guess, I don't know if I made, I can't, I can't think of the words to put it, but for, I'm going to, for lack of better terminology, I made famous was laying down on my back and then drawing back, popping up and shooting. And oh, wow. that, that came about from hunting, uh, antelope. And the very first time I went hunting antelope, even though I end up getting one, I got a really small buck, you know, yearling buck, little mm-hmm. nine inch, you know, horn, um, but I freaking slung some arrows, man. I was like yeah. planting carbon trees everywhere on that hunt. And I say, I vow this. I'm going to come back next year. And when I come back next year, I'm going to, and yet when I came back next year, I shot the number 11, boon, uh, number 11 Pope and young buck by spot and stalk. And the reason why uh-huh. it was because it wasn't because I wasn't seeing that caliber of buck last time I was there. And I wasn't getting opportunities. I was. I actually had better opportunities on bigger bucks the first time than I did on the second. It's because I changed my mindset of how I was going to train for that hunt. Everything I did. So I knew it was just open, wide open sage country. And the only way I can get into bow range is if I was going to be crawling on my hands and knees. And, you know, to get a shot off like that, it's not really feasible. So I would turn to my back and I, you know you're dealing with 18 inch tall sagebrush as your cover, figure out a way to stay concealed, draw it. Because I realized that the antelope would stay there long enough 
for me to get the shot off if I within a certain amount of time, right? So, yeah. you know, I wanted to be ready to make that shot. I wanted to know what I was doing. And so it was very, you know, minimal, just a pop-up anchor shoot. And that's how I yeah, killed, that's, that's cool. how I killed my buck. And anyway, so, I mean, that's a very extreme example, but, uh, yeah, you know, well, that's good to hear. Cause I've been looking at the archery Idaho, uh, uh, hunts for antelope in Idaho. And uh, that's cool to hear and good to know if I do go forward with that, how to train for it and how to be more better prepared for it. Yeah. Just look at the terrain that you're going to be in. Look at, you know, the conditions and, and, and figure out what you need to do to train your mind to be successful, your mind and your body to be successful in that situation. You know, and I, mm-hmm. I did that my whole life up until really up until like 2015, 2016. And since then I have not trained that way. And my, I went through a couple years there where my, one, I, I wounded a few animals, which was heartbreaking. And two, mm-hmm. my success rate went down a shit ton. And I was just like, oh, I'm just getting too old for them. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's because I don't have the time. I had another child. I had my third child. And my business got even busier. And, and I'm a creature of stupidity because I'm always adding stuff on my plate that I don't need to. So I just had a really full, and I still do, have a really full plate. And I don't have the time to dedicate to train in that manner. But when I did, man, I mean, like the last time I really trained hard was when I drew an Ibex tag and, you know, I wanted to be a, I wanted to be a part of the 2% club. I wanted to have that, you know, that, uh, notor- not necessarily, I don't want the notoriety for it, but I wanted the, uh, what's the word? I wanted to know that I could do it, you know? Um, Mm -mm. I wanted to have that taste, that success on something that is, um, by all accounts, the hardest hunt in North America. So, and I'm like, I'm going to do whatever I can. I I heard all the horror stories, how many guys got into position and, you know, so I looked at everything, not just the way I trained, but I also looked at the arrows I was shooting, the, the bow, the setup, you know, all that kind of stuff. And just kind of like took the attention to detail and, and took it to that, to that level. And I think anybody who wants to be successful, you need to be able to see yourself doing it and, and train in the way that you feel like it's going to go. I mean, you might be wrong, you know, but there's enough videos out there. There's enough information out there. It's not like the, you know, back in the, the old days when you didn't have you know, you were really guessing as to what you were doing or going to see or, you know, whatever. Here, I heard we're talking about Washington and you gave me a bunch of information. Otherwise, I would have just went to Washington and showed up and like, okay, cool. Let's go hunting, you know, <laughs> that kind of situation. So, you you know, the information's there. You can find it and you could develop a plan to help yourself become the most successful you could be in the field. So, anyway. Do you have any uh, plans coming up here to Washington? Um, I have plans all the time <laughs> yeah. to go everywhere, but, um, yeah, I think, I think it's something I might do. Um, I'm, I've been looking for something for that late November, early December. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, 
ever since they kind of changed, well, I didn't really change the draw here, but the draws, there's more and more people applying for it. And that tag that we would get over here um, would usually start the day after Thanksgiving and go the first week of, of um, December. It used to be a leftover tag. Mm. And um, now it's not. There are almost no leftover tags anymore. So like, so now that that's kind of like opening up for me because it's not a tag I'm going to apply for. Not because it's not a good tag. It's just because I have so many points and I don't want to burn it on that. I'm at this point in my life. I'm yeah. looking, I'm looking to maybe do a strip strip on it or something like that. But um, anyhow, that's kind of where I'm at. So yeah, it's a very good possibility in the next year or two. I'm, I will make my way to Washington to do to do that hunt cool yeah let me know and i can help you point out some areas and stuff that we've had success and um yeah sweet that'd be cool maybe yeah link up show you some areas that'd be cool awesome it's a pretty fun hunt there are actually i mean more and more people are getting into that archery um as that's becoming more popular but uh still not not a crazy amount of people that are out doing it and a lot of big bucks that are rolling through at that time of year on even public land and everything. So, well, maybe after this podcast, it might be a little busier. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, but, uh, well, cool, man. Um, I want to thank you for having you on and thanks for coming on rather. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep in touch here and maybe have you on again. Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm looking looking forward to this season. I drew a late hunt, so be a post rut mule deer hunt, which I've never done before. So that'll oh, cool. be interesting. And yeah, keep you updated on how that goes, and yeah, let you know what I learned from that. I've never, yeah, don't have very much opportunity here to hunt post rut muleys. So um, yeah, that'd be different. That'd be yeah, that'd be different. Uh, real quick before you jump off, uh, why don't you plug your Instagram? You guys, the page you guys run. Yeah, so it's Washington Hunt Trap and Horns. Uh, we share a lot of our own uh, hunting adventures, and then also uh, we have people that they send in their success uh, stories and pictures from the field. So we post those for people as well. And yeah, and then we also are Hunt Trap and Horns Outdoors on YouTube. We're getting started with that, um, trying to build up a fan base on that. We've been uploading videos for a while, but I've just now started. Getting some um, traction. Yeah, trying to trying to get more videos on a more variety of stuff. It was kind of hit and miss on what I was doing earlier on. I think the first one was like 2019, and so I've now started to put more plans together on videos. And yeah, so go. Yeah, if you want to check out those, that'd be great. And love the support. Sweet. Thank you. I appreciate it, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks again. Have a good one.